This is Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovis Indiana, and this is the podcast where we explore all things ag bioscience. The people, the products and innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Fermentation has become a catalyst for new food innovation, and today's guest is bringing a unique approach to scaling the solution to support food companies and the customers they serve. Welcome, Mark Warner, co-founder and CEO of Liberation Labs. Mark, welcome to Ag Bioscience. Thanks. Great to be here today. It is really incredible, the work you're pioneering, a new approach to scaling fermentation in food. Before we get into what you and your team are advancing at Liberation Labs, we have to learn more about you. You're a chemical engineer by training an early mover in alternative proteins and a longtime advisor to the food industry. Mark, tell us more about you and the work you're leading at Liberation Labs. Great. Thank you. As you know, I'm a chemical engineer by background, been doing this a long time, started in uh, the chemical industry with Monsanto over three decades ago and got into industrial biotech in the early 2000s in the biofuels heyday, um, worked through that, moved eventually into the food side of biotech. I was in-house a couple times, worked with Impossible Foods. I was their chief engineering officer during their early scale-up days, uh, worked with the company Solazyme to commercialize some large-scale fermentation, and for the last seven years, consulted in the industry for about 100 different startups in the novel biotech space. And the same theme kept coming up with all these great technologies. There just was not a place to manufacture the products people were trying to make. And if it did exist, it wasn't in the U.S. It was in Europe or elsewhere. So that was kind of the impetus behind us founding Liberation Labs. It's really an interesting story. Contract manufacturing, by definition, not really a new concept in traditional food production, but it is a relatively new entrant, to your point, into this precision fermented food category. Share more about your approach at Liberation Labs and give us a sense for what you'll be producing at the new facility in Richmond, Indiana. I think one of the main differences is we're purpose building a facility to manufacture these products. When you look today at the contract manufacturing for fermentation, it's primarily around older facilities generally built for farmer biofuels, built for something else that's been retasked to make those food products. They can make them, but they can't make them that efficiently. We're targeting a model that's a little more common in the pharmaceutical industry today, where you have developers of technologies and manufacturers. And the manufacturers have the expertise and the specialty to make them to where the, it gets to the point where really most developers of the technology choose not to have their own manufacturing. We're looking to bring that model to large-scale precision fermentation, predominantly around foods. Um, so our first products we expect to be in the food space, um, egg proteins, milk proteins, um, possibly some non-food products to materials and agricultural additives. It is fascinating, Mark. So fermentation, we were talking before we got started, fermentation, critical process, really in the development of alternative proteins. You were uh, one of the early pioneers in alternative proteins. How does it work? How does fermentation, precision fermentation, what you're leading at Liberation Labs, how does it work and how does it turn into an alternative protein? Best way to explain it is starting with beer as a reference. So if you think of beer fermentation, you take sugar and you use yeast to make um, beer, which is basically 
a water-alcohol mixture after fermentation. So in this case, the alcohol is the product that the yeast generates. You can make changes to that yeast, so instead of generating alcohol, it generates things like proteins. The fermentation's a little different. Where beer and wine are anaerobic, don't require oxygen, this is aerobic, more similar to the way biopharmaceuticals are made, which is why these older pharmaceutical facilities are often used. But the downstream is what's very different. The downstream is frankly more similar to a modern milk processing plant, where after fermentation, you have to remove the yeast and purify those proteins, similar to what they do with milk, take out the bigger components, maybe fractionate it into different grades and potentially dry some of the product. That's similar to the ingredients we expect to make. Just, just fascinating. There, as you look at alternative proteins, there's been so much conversation around, or even conflict, around traditional protein products such as meat. How do you see it? Is there a conflict between alternative proteins and is there enough demand in the world for both to coexist? Definitely, I think there is enough demand. And I, I, I think the conflict makes great press, but when you drill down into it, um, there's the demand for protein is growing so fast, we can't keep up with it under traditional sources. The things we're making aren't just to replace a protein, they bring a different functionality. If you think of something, and I'll use an Impossible Burger as an example, since I used to work there, we would have the ability to make their heme, which is their key ingredient, which then goes into the rest of the burger to make the overall burger. Um, there's people that choose to do that, be, eat it because it's vegan. Some people want it for health reasons because the, the um, fats don't have cholesterol in it. In the end, to us, it's more about a choice. We, we like to use the example of things like NutraSweet and Truvia. They're alternates to sugar that have been brought in. They certainly haven't replaced sugar but it brings an option for certain people in a sector we see growing that needs more protein options. Really powerful. The idea, you know, it's not a or sweetener or sugar. It's an and, right? They, they, can be, they can be both. Now, you recently announced that you would locate your first commercial scale facility here in Indiana. Share more about that facility, where it's located, and when you believe you'll be producing product. Sure. Uh, we selected a site in the Richmond, Indiana area at the Wayne County Industrial Park. Um, it was the end of a about a nine-month process where we looked at 10 sites in the U.S. nationally. Um, it really stuck out. As we like to say, it just frankly checked all the boxes. When we look at what's important to us, we are manufacturing. We're large-scale manufacturing. So frankly, in the end, it's about cost. You're making food. And people really don't like to spend a lot for their food. We're all spending way more today than we want to be spending. Um, but with that, the three main components for us are um, corn dextrose or sugar to feed our process, electricity. We do use a fair amount of electricity in running the process and labor, both qualified production labor and technical labor. And when we look at all the hard part is not finding one or two of those. It's finding an area that can give you all three of those. So we were very impressed by the industrial park. It had all the infrastructure we needed. It's, you know, mile from a main highway. It's got rail, main rail coming through. It's got the power, the water, the wastewater, and the natural gas we need. So where, where many people don't see that value to us, 
I've spent 30 years building these kinds of plants. That gives me more certainty around timeline and cost of the facility. Over those past 30 years, Mark, you've seen global markets shift substantially. You know, as we look at all the things that are happening today, we look at food demand, as you mentioned, really challenged by global inflation. We look at the alternative protein market, and it's been tough. I mean, it's been really tough. Beyond Meat, publicly held alternative protein company, stocked down 40% over the last six months. How do you envision the alternative protein market maturing over the next couple of years? You know, I, I think when you talk to the investors and the bigger players in the space, I think a theme you hear is while there's some great products that have come out, few of them today we can point at and say, boy, that's a, a true replicate. Because in the end, even if something's healthier, and I can certainly say this for myself, I, I aspire to eat things that are healthier. I don't always do that as much as I should. In the end, people have to want to eat the products. That's what's really going to get them to sell. And I think in a lot of these products, they're, they're getting better, but I think that's, that's been a little part of it. I think we can play part of that. In the end, we're not making an individual go-to-market product. We're making the key, often call what they would call the hero ingredient. In the case of, you know, impossible, it's the heme. If it's someone like a Clara Food that makes an egg replacement that would go into baked goods, maybe a milk replacement, those are the things that are from, they're basically what we call bioidentical proteins. So milk's a perfect example. Many of us have been drinking alternate milks for, for years. Almond milk has been very popular. If you look at it, it's, and I'm going off memory, 10, 15% of the market in some places. You've certainly seen where that can, can come in. We believe as these products become more bioidentical, taste and texture more like the original product, we believe you will continue to see adoption. And those attributes, the taste, the texture, even the price, really a driver around human protein consumption, proteins for human consumption. Are there products that maybe expand beyond food, things like animal feed? Obviously, Lanco being headquartered here, we, we have a real love for animal health and nutrition here in the state. Give us an idea, your view of, of what else is on the horizon when it comes to alternative proteins. You know, a broad range. Um, we certainly could make, so when we say precision protein, we're using an organism like yeast to make a product that in the end is separate from the organism. So that's precision. Many of the um, animal feed products and stuff are what we call a whole cell product meaning what you want is part of the cell at the end, and that goes into the animal feed or other things. We could certainly make those products. Um, we would have more equipment than we need, so it's not our target today, but that's certainly an option. I mean, we have, there's companies we're working with that make um, protein materials that are biopesticides. They're used on strawberries. Um, with a lot of the new EPA regulations coming in, especially in California, they're looking for alternates so there are definitely um, agricultural additive um, materials we could do. There's also um, materials applications. These proteins can go into things like augmented Kevlar vests and other things. So it's, it isn't just the food proteins. The reason we're focused on them near term is the major obstacle there is size and price, that you need them made at large scale to get the price points that are needed. So that's really been the niche we think is kind of the underserved market today. So while all those other things we could theoretically make, 
it has us focused on the food proteins today. Makes a lot of sense. Last question for you, Mark. What's next for Liberation Labs? Just coming off a big big capital raise, announcing the new facility in Richmond. What What's next for Liberation Labs and when can we expect to see product coming out of Richmond? Sure. Um, we're targeting end of 2024, so roughly two years from now for initial um, material coming out of Richmond. Beyond that, this is a, you know, when we founded Liberation Labs, it does have a global perspective. And that's important even to the operations here, because today, the way these CMOs are making these novel food proteins, since they're former sites that have been retasked, there's no player that has worldwide footprint to make these products. If you're a big CPG and you start making a product here in the U.S. and you're going to take it to Europe or Asia or elsewhere, you don't want to hear that it's all going to be made here and shipped overseas. Food is generally made in multiple geographies. So ideally, they want to work with the same manufacturing platform in multiple places. So, you know, beyond here, we are working on five other geographies, Middle East and Australia are near term focus. We do have the potential um, longer term to expand any of the geographies, including here. And that's kind of the last thing that attracted us is we're able to get a big enough piece of land, although we don't have firm plans today, to be able to expand to a much larger facility. What we're building today is 600,000 liters. It'll make, you know, four, five, 600 metric tons a year of a um, protein, kind of a business-to-business protein that would go into uh, materials. But still, from the food perspective, that's not that big. The ultimate facility we would hope to build is about 4 million liters, so about five, six times as that would be able to make much more product. Mark, we are elated to welcome you, the entire Liberation Labs team to Indiana. He is Mark Warner, CEO and co-founder of Liberation Labs. Mark, thanks so much for being with us today. Great. Appreciate the opportunity. And thank you for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. Get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions just like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And while there, you can access our entire library of archived episodes and give us a review. Don't forget, you can learn more online at agronovisindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovis team, I'm Mitch Frazier saying thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Agronovis Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business. Hosted by Mitch Frazier. Produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez. Photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com.